Last time on Trials of the Apocalypse. Eli Shields, the gravedigger, told you a man came to him asking about someone fitting your exact description. The mysterious man pressed a wanted poster into Eli's hands. He gave it to you. It showed Jamie Little, an alleged criminal who looks like you when you were younger. Accused of a crime you certainly could have committed back then, but it's not you. The man told Eli to tell you he's staying at the Riverview Hotel should you wish to turn yourself in and save this town a mountain of grief. What crime is Jamie Little accused of? Wagon robbery that had pay for, like, a company's employees for that month. Eli described to you the bounty hunter. Something in his description confirms that the bounty hunter is a revenant, an undead stalker seeking revenge or justice. Jebediah F. Clarkson is not Jebediah F. Clarkson, and Jebediah is the first soul that he acquired. He's actually the famous chemist turned alchemist, Dr. Fabian Cryer. Angel knows this because she worked for the doctor when she was a child, and he clearly doesn't recognize her. There's the ink and the urine. The urine is the, the final, the death air quotes, thing. the final urine. How has this place, this warehouse in general, been affected by Dr. Clarkson's trapped ghost? Maybe this ghost has some poltergeist qualities about it. And it is cold, noticeably colder. They're starting to leave some ectoplasm. Not a lot, just a, a thin thin layer is starting to develop. They have this like presence about them that makes everything around them age rapidly. Mm. Mm. What are we going to do to free the ghost? We're going to bind Fabian with the ropes, chains, cords, and barbed wire. And then we're going to set the ghost free from the cage using the key. And then the ghost will have his way. So that's a 13 total? Yes, it is. Well, uh, guess what, everybody? On a 12+, plus, the mastermind will reveal themselves while the hunters are pursuing the opportunity. Yeah, Pat, what do you got for the bounty hunter? What's, what's your angle here? Jebediah is protected by the wounded knight because he is the bounty hunter's informant. Oh, so this revenant is like like broadly working on behalf of spirits who are are back from the wounded knight. I rolled I rolled a 4 so it's a 1. Oh. Oh, Pat. That is a catastrophic categoric failure. That's amazing. God damn it. That was such a good theory too. <laughs> working off of one fucking clue. Since we answered a couple of questions earlier, we have threats to resolve this evening. We have a couple of lingering issues with that. We, of course, have our 13 uh, role for our primary threat, that of Ghost Be Gone. But then we did get 
Uh, a little bit less than that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I rolled great. Was it a two? It was a one. Yeah. Uh, we got a one for Marshall Jefferson Stockley and the bounty hunter. Listen, you can't hate the theory. It was a well-constructed theory with only having one clue to work with. <laughs> you did a great job. Things are just going to go poorly. It's okay, Marshall. Never I'll let it you. be said that Pat cannot spin a yarn. And it's not the only thing that's going to go a little bit poorly, at least, because also with a mess, prior to rolling for that, Lorelai, you stole a book. No prior. Did I? Well, we established that you did successfully steal it. But there will be some consequences associated with that at some point this evening. Just sort of holding that in my back pocket right now. So a question I wanted to ask as we move into the night, um, because very quickly we'll begin with our first unseen, and then the night will officially begin. But I wanted to ask, we will be conducting some kind of ritual. We left it ambiguous in our answering of a question. We're going to be doing something with ropes, chains, cords, and barbed wire in order to bind Dr. Clarkson, or should I say Fabian Cryer? Uh, and then unlock the copper cage in order to release his control on the various specters that he has made subservient in his times as a charlatan. Um, where will that happen? What will you be doing for that? G- give me a better sense of how you all want to approach that before I sort of take the night phase from there. So Del Sol left it pretty fucking ambiguous as Del Sol tends to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Am I to assume that we're going to have to acquire the ropes, chains, cords, and barbed wire on our own? I mean, the warehouse is one for materials for an eventual train yard. So I think everything you could need is conceivably at the warehouse. Okay. I like that. It seems then, and I was already thinking that it seemed smart to just have this happen at the warehouse. Uh, I have a suggestion slash volunteering myself. One of the moves I have, this is relevant, I promise. One of the moves I have is uh, care for a game, which lets me engage a side character in a game of our choosing. And then I get to ask a couple of questions. But what that could do for us in this instance is basically just act as a distraction and a way to keep him in one place while everybody gets set up, if I can convince him to to engage in that. I think knowing his actual real name mm-hmm. will probably cow him enough to get him to engage in it with a big enough bet. And I have one in mind. Then I guess it'll be everyone else's purview to assemble the goods and then come for the man himself. Is that fair? Sounds great. I think that gives me enough to know where to to go with things. So let's begin the night with our first unseen. Our unseen this evening is called the tumbleweed. 
Drying and drying all day long in the hot Texas sun means this tumbleweed is ready to hit the dusty trail. This weed begins as a titan among its peers, nearly six feet tall. I did not do, read that part before. Do tumbleweeds Holy get shit. that big? Apparently. Tumbleweeds can get huge. I mean, six feet, admittedly, big damn tumbleweed. But yeah, no. Six foot tall is a titan among its peers. Yeah. So our first question for tonight's Unseen, this is going to be for Lorelei Chambers, Emma. Just as the sun goes down, a stiff wind blows, causing the tumbleweed to break free from the roots that anchor it. What beautiful landscape does the weed first encounter on its long nighttime journey? The weed starts on a clifftop. That's where it's rooted in. And the wind blows it so that, along with some pebbles clattering down, it pulls itself free and tumbles down the cliff face into a cluster of saguaros and agave and some other cacti and succulents. It bounces off the top of a saguaro as it continues on, narrowly misses being caught among the leaves of an aloe as the sky is a deep blood red. The moon like a bullet hole in the sky. Tis an evening of the wounded night. We draw our eyes away from there, drifting over the desert, back to a place north of El Paso, back to the warehouse where we ended our day. After our vigilance committee was ousted from the building as Dr. Jebediah F. Clarkson uh, fairly angrily sent them out. I think he's gone back behind now that the night is beginning to fall. He's gathering up crates of Ghosts Be Gone, loading them onto the wagon behind the warehouse. And uh, it is here, Lorelei, that you, despite being ushered off of the property, walk your way around and you approach Dr. Clarkson as he loads on the final crate and begins to pull shut the cloth flap at the rear of the cart. I'll keep my distance a bit near the wall of the warehouse and I'll call out, Oh, Mr. Cryer. I think he freezes. But only for a moment. He finishes tying down the flap and turns to you. <laughs> Miss Molai, I thought I thought you departed for the evening. Yes, I know that's what you thought. Fabian, right? <laughs> Who now? <laughs> It's all right. You're not the only one who's taken on another identity for your own means. You see his eyebrows knit together a little bit. He turns his head to you somewhat quizzically. His eyes flick around and he notes that you are alone back here right now. And he takes a step towards you. <laughs> Why, Miss Chambers, it seems that... 
<laughs> you are more than met my eye originally. I have a proposal for you. Well, I have no intentions of being tied down. I'm not looking for any Mrs. Clarkson's right now. Oh, a different kind of proposal, sir. How do you feel about a game of chess? Well, I I fancy doing some of my business this evening. I have been beleaguered enough by you and your ilk this afternoon, and I, well, I have places to be perhaps in the morning. Oh, I think you'll find this to be extremely beneficial to your business, that is, if you win. You see, I never play a game if we can't make it interesting. I think once again, he reassesses you afresh. And he takes another step forward. All right. (laughs) You have my attention. If you win, you may peddle your ghost be gone through any business that will willingly carry it here in El Paso. If I win, you meet with my vigilance committee and I one last time tonight before you depart. I think he looks at you a bit suspicious. Is all that you seek really just a meeting? A meeting, some discussion. Well, perhaps then my charms have finally broken through. Is this deal with the city something that you're truly capable of brokering? I have connections. And my connections have connections. We can work out something that will be beneficial. He seems to accept that for now. He gestures to the wall where he slides his hand along and he clicks the latch and slides it away to reveal the false wall, the rear entrance into the building. He gestures inside back to the lab space that you were in just a, you know, an hour or so ago. Jess, is it? I think I can scrounge up a board if you require one. Oh, I, I brought one with me. And he smiles. Even better. At the very least, allow me to provide the table. And she'll nod and follow or, or go in first if he's like holding yeah. the door open. He gestures and the two of you go inside and the wall slides back and clicks into place. While the two of them are occupied at the rear of the building, the other three of you are busy. Do you split up on the hunt for the tools you require for the ritual you wish to conduct? I think so. I think we split the party. We'll cover more ground that way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if the tools we need are inside the warehouse, wouldn't it make more sense to just go through the front of the warehouse while Lorelai is around the back? It's like an inside-outside kind of thing. Uh, There is a indoor space that's like, especially keeping things that super need to stay dry and out of the elements. But then there's a bunch of stuff out front that's in the, you know, fenced lot that's just kind of covered with tarps and stuff. A lot of the lumber is out there, I imagine, uh, like the extra ties and stuff that will eventually be used for the rail lines. 
There's also probably like a a covered but still outside almost like hangar space. Yeah. Because that's pretty common. Like yep. the things that are okay being out in the weather generally but don't want to get rained on or mm-hmm. exactly. So, you know, there's some stuff maybe inside, some stuff probably outside. But it is a it's a large warehouse, large enough that it will it will eventually be a place of work for you know more than a dozen people probably once the train truly starts making its way through. So the three of you split to go and find your different pieces. Who goes to fetch what? There's ropes, of course, chains, cords, and barbed wire. I got the chains and the barbed wire. I'll get the rope. Cords different from rope and chains and barbed wire? Twine? Yeah. Probably dependent on the material. For a cord, I think you're generally going to have material that that is denser and thicker. In order to differentiate it more if we wanted to, it could be like metal steel cord or something, which would be something that you would use on a... Yeah, like cord like cable cords. Yeah. I like that. That still suits the the cord description for sure. So, Angel Flynn, you go off in search of ropes. Brother Gideon, you for our metallic cords, as we've described. The Marshal with the double feature of chains and barbed wire, and barbed wire, which admittedly are probably going to be in you know the same rough place on the grounds. I'm going to say that the ropes and cords are maybe coiled up outside on large spools underneath some of the tarps. So Brother Gideon and Angel Flynn, the two of you are rooting around, peeking under different tarps out in the front part of the warehouse. And Marshal Jefferson Stockley, you slide inside in search of your chains and barbed wire. Let's do our second unseen. Our tumbleweed has been moving and grooving tonight. It's a few hours later. Across the landscape, half the weed is fed to a campfire by a lone rider. What urgent matter distracts the rider just before the rest of the weed is given to the flame? It's dark. The moon and stars are out. There's a man at a small camp by his lonesome, a horse tied to rock nearby, and the rider is breaking off pieces of this tumbleweed and stoking a fire that he lit a little while ago. He hears a small noise that's somewhat close, and so he goes to investigate. Up above him on a ridge, team of four bandits <laughs> swoop down upon him and fight ensues to bring him to the ground and they rob him of his money and ride off. And so half the tumbleweed that had been reserved by this lone rider, instead of being fed to the blaze, drifts off and rolls tumbles, one might even say. Away. Camera pans back once again. We're out front of the warehouse. 
Brother Gideon and Angel Flynn, I think the two of you find what you're looking for, your elements for this ritual very quickly, or at least the places where they're supposed to be. Underneath the tarp, there are two large wooden schools. They even have labeling on the side for the the companies and, and the goods that they are. And the cord is in pretty good shape. Uh, it's pretty much a, I think maybe a small length has been consumed from it, but it's otherwise an, an unbroken spool, un, unsullied and kept here, safe from thieves by the fence and safe from the weather by the tarp. But the spool next to it, which seems to be responsible for a good deal of rope, it has been emptied. And all that remains is the wooden spool marked for rope. And you search around in that pile to see if there's anything else of use or if there's any others, you know, bits or pieces left. And you don't see any there. But then you hear a creak at the front fence line where the gate is to this warehouse area. I think your gaze is drawn there first, Angel. You see a figure who you recognize, who you just spoke with, you know, the previous evening. Uh, wearing his dusty conductor uniform and his high black boots is the conductor who, as of yet, I don't think you have a name for. Or has he given you his name? No, she wanted to go meet with him but ran out of time today. Yeah, he closes the gate behind him with a soft click. Apparently he had a key to the heavy padlock that was on the outside. Underneath one of his arms is a long spool of rope wrapped around it. Seeing you and Brother Gideon, Angel, he says to the two of you after nodding and tipping his conductor hat at you. What a coincidence, seeing the two of you here. He sets down the rope with a sort of winding thud on the ground. It's tough to tell as darkness begins to fall, but it looks like the rope itself has seen a little bit of use today. Parts of it are are worn and taut or have been taut recently. And there's a bit of mud or something caked on it um, as, a, as a thin coating in places. He looks up to you after setting it down. Were you here to speak with me or with the doctor? We were looking for some supplies and and then we were likely to want to speak with the doctor before he begins his evening activities. Hmm. Well. And he smiles slightly, tilting his head to the side. You can see the the redness, the chafing along his neckline, hidden a bit by his his higher collar. Well, I'm responsible for this yard here and the warehouse beyond. If there's something that you require, I'm sure a woman of commerce like yourself could certainly afford it here. Well, as it, as it happens, I'm currently in the market for some rope. <laughs> the coincidences continue. Indeed they do. I've got a fine stretch of that right here. <laughs> well, 
what might you be interested in trading for the use of your rope this evening? He looks down and he makes eye contact with both of you in turn. A paltry sum. Just give me an hour of your time tomorrow. I can meet the both of you at the Golden Sun Cup. Well, I certainly agree, Brother Gideon. I am always ready to offer guidance to any any member of the flock that needs it. Well, I suppose it is a guidance of a sort that I seek from you. You carry on with your business. And he tips his hat. I'll be around. (laughs) (laughs) And he turns after depositing the rope there. And he doesn't head back through the gate. Uh, He turns and very quickly as there's these, you know, huge piles of, of wood and metal and material out here. He heads off on some other errand on these grounds. Marshall Jefferson Stockley, you head inside. The warehouse is quiet. I think you hear ever so softly the murmur of a pair of voices, one a bit more bombastic than the other, as Dr. Clarkson and Lorelai have already made their way inside. They're in the the lab space at the very back of the building. When you entered through the front door, you were surprised by two things. Uh, One, that it was still unlocked. And two, that the watchman who you'd seen earlier, there in the corner, ushering people to and fro from the building earlier, seems to be absent. The chair that he was sitting on earlier is empty. Good luck, I suppose, as you look for your materials. How is the marshal planning on carrying a load of chain and barbed wire? He assumes that he only needs enough chain to wrap around Dr. Clarkson a couple of times and only enough barbed wire to wrap around Dr. Clarkson a couple of times. That's easily doable. Yeah. Especially for, I mean, chain gets heavy, but like the marshal's a butch guy. He's a strapping man. He's a strapping man. So with only a few feet of each that you'd need, Marshal, you softly, or soft as your boots on the wood floors in here allow, go about the warehouse. I'd imagine there's like hooks along the walls or something. Yeah. There's like a, a length of chain and a loop on a hook and a length of barbed wire and a loop on a hook. And Everything in here, despite, again, this building being erected fairly recently, is a bit worn. The timbers are are worn. The, I think there are some lengths of chain that you find fairly quickly, but they are a bit rusted. rusted. Yeah. Um, but a rusty chain will still do. Marshall, you lift that and the chains clink. You do it as quietly as you can, but it is still chain. I put the coil of chain over my shoulder Mm -hmm. and hold the 
loop of barbed wire carefully in the other hand. Yeah, you've picked it up. Uh, the two were there together in, we'll say, the, the opposite back corner from where the lab space is. After collecting both of them, you hear creaking in footsteps up towards the front of the warehouse as the door has opened and closed. Someone, perhaps the watchman, has returned to the building. Let's go to our third tumbleweed time. Camera pans out of here. The remainder of the weed becomes snagged in a bit of errant barbed wire for several hours before a fleeing animal knocks it loose. What terrible fate is the animal fleeing from? Not but half an hour earlier, a wild stag was running free as a cowboy approaches on horseback with rope twirling in the air, throws the rope, hitches onto the stag. The stag bucks and uses its speed and strength to break free of the cowboy's grip and rides off as fast as its legs will take it with the cowboy following behind. And as it approaches the fence and the tumbleweed, the rope catches on one of the tumbleweed's weeds, yanking it free from its fate. And then the tumbleweed flies loose as the stag makes a sharp turn into the night. We hear the thunder of the horse's hooves as the cowboy gives chase. But perhaps this evening, as a stroke of luck, maybe the stag escapes. Other quarry will hopefully not be so lucky. We go back to the lab. You've been playing chess now for some time, Lorelai, you and Dr. Jebediah F. Clarkson. The chessboard is made of bone and onyx. I think he earlier did remark a interesting set that you have here. It's a family heirloom. Ah. Eclectic tastes. And the two of you took seats and began your game. You've been embroiled in it for some time now. I think Dr. Clarkson is a skilled, if a bit brash player. I think he has worked himself even if he has not yet realized it, into a bit of a corner in the game where he's overextended his pieces, leaving those at the edges a bit more vulnerable. And I am patient. You are patient. If you are anything at all. Lorelai, I believe that move affords you some questions of Dr. Clarkson. Is that true? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. When you play any game with a side character, you may do any or all of the following, win or lose. I've got ask the keeper when and how they are meant to die. The keeper can ask you to declare it instead. Ask them about their true name or motives, true nature or motives. We already know his true name. And they will answer truthfully and completely and prevent them from dying for one day cycle. Okay. 
I'm obviously not going to do the last one. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely want to make conversation with him that will hopefully lead to the true nature or motives section. There's really no reason for him to lie if I know his name. I think the conversation goes like this. You're playing for some time. He's not quite yet worked himself into that corner. Uh, He doesn't move. He takes one of your pawns, feels smug about it. And he asks you as you're thinking about your next move. So, how did you hear of me? You mean, how did I hear your actual name? Yes. It's not one that I've that I've heard for some time. We'll uh, chalk that up to extraordinary skills of the Vigilance Committee. Perhaps I've underestimated you then as a as a group. I'd say that's quite likely. You see, I've I've been through towns before and I've at times faced resistance for my knowledge, skills, my my expertise and my products. It's carried you far that charisma. Well, and and the name, of course. Uh, Dr. Jebediah S. Clarkson. I, he was one of the first that gave me trouble. And in return, it seems you gave him some. Well, trouble found him anyhow. Trouble does tend to do that. It's interesting. He makes another move. His bishop takes one of your pawns, uh, leaving it vulnerable to a strike from your rook, although he does not realize this at the time. It's interesting. I I rather thought your lot to be just as, as foolish as those past. Yet another traipsing troop of unwashed masses masquerading as some sort of expert. Well, yes. <laughs> I believe so, after all, uh, a marshal, uh, a holy man, a saloon owner, and, uh, well, a teacher. Not exactly a group that inspires fear or trepidation. Not when you are as accomplished as I am. Yeah. Yes. You see... I think that's because all you see of us are the titles, the marshal, the holy man, saloon owner, the teacher. You don't see the depth of care that the marshal has for these people. You don't see the ways in which everyone's eyes find Brother Gideon in a room when something goes wrong. You don't see how Miss Angel Flynn has nursed everyone back to health who has come into her saloon. And of course, you don't see me at all. You take the bishop. And he he clicks his tongue. 
Well, I'm all eyes now. He makes another move. That's check. You see, none of us are here by accident. I do, of course, mean my vigilance committee, but I also mean you. I also mean every member of this town who's found themselves caught up in the horrors of this wounded night. And that isn't fair, and it isn't just, but it is true. You, of course, drove yourself in here willingly, looking to profit off of others' suffering. Have you ever thought about how you're going to die? He pauses. You've moved your king in such a way as to lure his queen, which had cornered you, further into the trap that you've been laying steadily now for most of this game. And his piece, moving perfectly to your plan, clicks on the board as he leans back on his stool. I try not to think about it often, you see. (laughs) I've made my own deals that well though you may doubt my ghost be gone I think you'll find that my my powers my knowledge are quite real and stem from powerful places I fear that were I to meet my end I might finally meet them face to face but that's why and he tips his hat, takes, uh, I think he's maybe poured himself a glass of tea, and he takes a sip of that, waiting for you to make your move. That's why it's always the other guy who falls when I'm around. It follows you in a way. Since it's always the other guy, as you said. Well... I've got forces that wish for my success. And she nods. And she moves her queen across the board to corner his. And I don't know enough about chess to take this (laughs) all the way, so I'll let you do the rest. I was very appreciative from of you describing the game. Okay, your queen crosses the board, takes out his queen, which he had placed there to attempt to corner your king. He finds that it is actually his king that is now cornered. That with an elaborate set of subtle moves, you'd aligned your bishop, one of your rooks, upon a knight all so that his king's options were being cut away one by one. Until now, with his strongest piece removed from the board and your queen's dagger bared at his king's throat, 
He sits back, bemused a bit. Huh. You see, I may look young, but something that I have learned in my time is that it's always the other guy until it isn't. (laughs) That death is, after all, inevitable. You stand up from your game, and he pats his legs off and stands up as well. Well, let's put these dour subjects behind us and I... I will graciously go to the meeting you have planned. Oh, that's all right. We brought the meeting to you. Yeah, you say this, and Marshall Stockley, Marshall Jefferson Stockley. Marshall Jefferson Stockley. (laughs) You, Angel Flynn, and Brother Gideon are actually all waiting just beyond the edge of the lab space. You see the door opening and closing in the feet inside the warehouse were actually those of your fellow members of the Vigilance Committee coming to join you, having found their components to this puzzle. The three of you enter the lab. Dr. Clarkson raises an eyebrow. Oh, (laughs) it seems you're already prepared for a meeting. I suppose I did forget to mention that I don't lose... (laughs) Well, (laughs) it seems my unbreakable spear has (laughs) met your indomitable shield or something along those lines. Why don't you have a seat? Well, I I was just sitting down. In fact, I I feel like perhaps now I maybe should get going. Nah, why don't you stay in that seat a little while longer? After all, it would be terribly rude of you to renege on a deal once made. That is, I'm presuming, custom around these parts just as they are in mine. And he swallows hard. The false wall, of course, has already clicked back into place, so the only real exit from this room without removing a board that is thrown across to lock it into place and shifting of a lever um, would be to leave back through the door into the rest of the warehouse, which is, of course, blocked by the now uh, more imposing members of the Vigilance Committee. Hello, it's your keeper, David, here with a couple of brief announcements in our Ghosts of El Paso finale. First off, a bit of news that may interest you. As per usual, we'll be releasing our post-apocalypse cast retrospective on this arc two weeks from now on the 14th. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to answer and talk about on the show, let us know on our tweet about it or in our channel of the Podcast Nexus Discord server both linked in the show notes. We are eager to answer just about anything about this arc or the show more broadly. We're recording the post-apocalypse this Saturday afternoon, and I'll be taking questions until then, so get them in soon.
I also wanted to add an extra content warning before continuing on to the rest of the finale today. What is ahead will be dark, violent, and potentially uncomfortable. I urge you to review the full listed content warning in the show notes on this episode and maybe put in some headphones or something if you're all right with the content but are listening in a public space. Coming up is a suitable conclusion of the story thus far. So please enjoy the rest of the episode. I'll see you again in the post apocalypse. Later. <laughs> Perhaps uh, we should take this meeting outside. Uh, the night air will be more conducive for whatever <laughs> discussions you wish to have. Nah, I insist that we stay inside for our little chat. Marshall, under one arm, you have a long coil of barbed wire. Under the other, you have a length of chain that you have slung over your shoulder. Brother Gideon, you have a bit of metal cord that you're steadily working in your hands. And Angel walks forward, tying her rope for a nice, tight lasso. You see, we do have some trepidations as to whether or not you might not want to listen to our entire presentation. So we decided to go ahead and take some extra steps to encourage you to remain for the totality of what we need to show you. The marshal is going to approach Dr. Clarkson's chair where he's sitting. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's going to go around the back of him and put a hand on Clarkson's shoulder. Just just rest it enough that there's definite pressure Clarkson feels, but not necessarily threatening yet. So please, we insist. <laughs> Have a seat. Take a load off. I much prefer the open night air. Maybe a short walk. And you see him cast his eyes towards where his cane is. It's been resting on the other side of the table where he'd set it down when he and Lorelai had come in. With the marshal's weight on his shoulder, he reaches across the table to try and grab it. The marshal's going to apply a little bit more pressure onto that shoulder. And Lorelai's going to grab the cane. Yeah, I think Lorelai, give me a night move. Okay. So with this night move... We do have a clean success earlier. Mm -hmm. So, like, generally speaking, everything's going down right now. But we are at, I think, the crux moment uh, where we determine whether or not you're going to be immediately successful in this. So, yeah, what are you worried might happen? He might get to it before I can. Yeah, I'll tell you how it's worse than that. He's going to get to it before you can, and he is going to muster all of the spirits in his power to try and defend himself in this moment. Is there any item you wish to use from your personal quarters? Or try to mask afterwards? Yeah. Go for it. Hey, that's a five and a six. Yeah. What was I rolling with, by the way? Or Oh, uh, yeah, I should have we should have specified some. That's you're acting under pressure in this circumstance. So composure? Uh composure, yeah. Cool. So that's a twelve. Because I have one point in composure. Yeah. And on a night move, then you hold steady and do 
what you were trying to do. Excellent. Um, and now I can say the cool line. Yeah, you snatch the cane first before he can make it to it. Fabian, I'm disappointed in you. I thought we had a deal. And she'll look at him, and her eyes for a moment will turn blood red and glow slightly like the setting sun. She'll kind of smile and say, you yourself were just talking about how you value those deals you make with supernatural entities. <laughs> Fabian. <laughs> well, perhaps we have that chat. And he sits back more concretely into the seat. Uh, and I think probably the group of you tie him up. Yep. With some ropes, some chains, some cords, and some barbed wire. Ropes, chains, cords, barbed wire. So ropes, cords, chains, barbed wire? No. Ro- <laughs> Hang on, we gotta get Cartridge in it. It is ropes, tree. chains, cords, barbed wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With each binding you add, I think, of course, with the rope, first Angel Flynn, you've made this lasso. You pull that tight around his shoulders, it clenches. Marshall, you have the chains. Mm-hmm. I'm going to drop the barbed wire temporarily and just start wrapping that chain around him. Yeah. What do you do with the cords, Brother Gideon? I'm, he's going to wrap them around them, but he's going to, after he does some securing wraps around him, crisscross applesauce, he's also going to use some leftover cord to make a nice little cross right in the center of his chest. Mm. It's not part of what holds him to the chair, but it is part of the ritual. Yeah. Or at least it should be. <laughs> yeah, the binding's tight on his body. I think as the marshal behind him picks back up the barbed wire and goes to start wrapping it, he he says, all of this seems a tad excessive. And then the barbed wire wrapping begins and bites into his flesh a little bit. And he <coughs> calls out, oh, I'm sorry. Does that, does that sting a little bit? And he's going to like really <laughs> tighten it after he says that. <laughs> well, it is a... Uh, if I'm being honest, it can't be uncomfortable. <laughs> We've moved to the chair so that it's out from the crate. Is yeah. It crate? It's, it's a pyramid. Yeah. The cage is a pyramid. It is underneath the crate, which you've been playing chess on. Yes. Okay. So we're going to move it so that I can make a direct line of a salt circle around the cage and then going around his chair. Yeah. You've removed the crate now. Both are exposed. And... I think at this moment, Brother Gideon, Angel, Marshall Jefferson Stockley, Lorelai Chambers, you can tell that the reality of the situation has sunk in for Dr. Jebediah F. Clarkson, or should I say, Fabian Cryer. He's gone a bit pale. He sees you approaching the the pyramid cage, Lorelai, after you've finished securing him on this chair with all of these different ropes, chains, cords, and barbed wire. And without looking at any of you, just looking at it, he says, You don't realize what you're doing. I keep that thing in check. That's funny, because 
I was debating on whether or not to tell you this, and I suppose I will now. What's happening? Right here, right now. This was always going to happen. It might not have happened tonight. It might not have been us. It might not have even been anyone but yourself, but... When you made these deals, when you took this path, this was the fate you signed up for. The power of domination was given to me, and it it should still be mine. After all that I've sacrificed to be here, you would take it away from me. And she'll smile, and this will genuinely be sort of a sweet, sad smile. Sweetheart, if I can take the power away from you, you never had it to begin with. Yeah, you slide the key in. We see from a small window that darkness has truly fallen outside. And the moonlight, as a cloud has drifted away, illuminates the yard, illuminates the building, and... The key formerly invisible but heavy in your hand now shimmers and sparkles in moonlight that doesn't strike it but seems to pass through it all the same. And with a twist and a click, the lock on the side of the cage becomes undone. The top of it, like a pressurized canister, breaks open. All of the heat that is in this room, all of the humidity of the day, leaves. It is like a freezer has been left open in here for weeks. It is like ice has entered each of your veins. As the energy fills this space, I'm going to ask each of you in turn, And I will do Lorelei last. I'm going to start with Angel. What is the first thing that one of the ghostly victims, which Fabian Cryer now had under his control, what is the first thing that they take from him? His sight. Seated in the chair as the chill filled the room, Fabian Cryer, after talking his way through his whole life up till this point, had gone deathly silent. And then you hear as if a pin had dropped. And that was the only thing you could hear in the room. You hear the wet plop, plop of his eyes hitting the floorboards. (laughs) God damn. And he cries out, Roughly. <laughs> Brother Gideon, what is the second thing that they take from him? His silver tongue. Absolutely. Yeah. As he's crying out, <laughs> it stops. Not just his tongue, but his entire method of speech is removed from him. And with another wet plop, we do see that tongue also, within that salt circle still, fall and hit the ground. 
He groans softly, but is capable of nothing more than that. Marshal Stockley, what is the third thing that they take from him? His complexion turns a sickly white. Every ounce of color is drawn from his cheeks. His body shakes. You can tell that with that, the chill you're experiencing is nothing like it's going through his body right now. He shivers in the chair, the barbed wire digging ever further into his skin. Lorelei Chambers, as they do take his life, what is the final thing that they take from him? I imagine them sort of coming out of the cage one by one and sort of passing over him. Yeah, I think this is in your vision and your vision only. Yeah. To everyone else, the cage has just burst open. But for you, you see the souls that had been trapped there released from their prison. The last one to come out is the one that he has had for the longest. Somebody who very much lost their life at his hand. This is uh, an older woman, pained and suffering and angry. Lorelai sets a hand on the side of her face for just a moment and says, come find me when you're done. And then they pass Dr. Jebediah F. Clarkson, Fabian Cryer. And I think they take his spine. And it doesn't, like, clatter out on the floor or anything. It's just gone. And he just slumps over. What little he can. He slumps over. You see a trickle of blood, maybe, at his neckline where it has been delicately, although internally I'm sure it feels quite indelicately removed. He is now as spineless here as he always has been in life. And as all of these ghosts have filled this place and then departed, you hear the beams creak and groan as this entire corner of the building has aged 80 years in 10 seconds. You hear and then immediately see the ceiling begin to shift, begin to lean into this corner as the weight of the building, which had previously been supported well on all four sides, here in this wing is beginning to collapse. I think this lab were you to linger here, would quickly be destroyed. Bits and pieces of the rafters begin to fall down. Tables of tinctures and bottles are crushed as the building begins to collapse in on itself. Let me ask, do you leave Jebediah's body here? Uh, Do you take it with you? I'm assuming the four of you leave. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I I say we leave it here personally yeah I don't think we have time to drag a corpse out of here especially not with these several 
pounds of metal that we have. <laughs> you know, and it will, it will also, you know, this will just seem like a tragic accident. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. He is one spine lighter. That's true. Well, you're not going to bother to autopsy this body, not when it's crushed. Yeah, it's, it's about to be buried underneath a couple tons of, of building. And, you know, yeah. honestly, that's probably for the best. I think so. That's what he would have wanted. <laughs> think he would have wanted to continue <laughs> to live, but sure. It's what he would have wanted if he couldn't do that first thing. So is it because we're in the workshop area. Is yeah. there potentially a a barrel of acid? Wow. <laughs> we Holy do shit, not sh- have time to dissolve the body. No, but we can throw it in there and then leave. I would suggest lighting everything on fire, but it is a very, very dusty, dry area that we're through. So maybe not. I think the collapse directly on him is going to be just fine. I don't think we yeah. need to go all Mexican cartel on his ass. <laughs> I Uh, love the creative initiative, though. (laughs) (laughs) Points for enthusiasm. (laughs) Here's what I'll say. uh, I really don't like him. (laughs) Because I do agree that I think the collapse is enough. I do think that Angel Flynn, having rifled through this whole area earlier, I think you kind of like, you know, uh, Bugs Bunny style snap off to the corner like, darn it. And it's like, (laughs) there's no acid here. you know. (laughs) And there's no urine. (laughs) Not enough. Well, there is there is now because <laughs> someone just died. Yeah, the final urine. The final urine. Da, 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 da. The final, final urine. Well, as the building begins to collapse, the four of you, Angel casting a quick look back, looking one last desperate attempt to find some acid to throw on this dude. Marshall, you are the one who first goes to the the door to the lab area. You open it up and you wave an arm, ushering your other members of the vigilance committee through. Very quickly, you take the most direct path, the four of you, towards the front doors. Except for you, Marshall. The other three ahead of you, all of you rushing out, there is a clamor as the building is starting to lean. You hear the creaking of wood, the snapping of timbers. And the other three are a bit ahead of you, one by one, the door pushed open and then exiting out into the darkness of the night. But your foot catches on something, Marshall, or I suppose it's more accurate to say your foot is captured by something. With a metallic snap, you feel metal teeth dig into your leg. Marshall, you've stepped in a bear trap. Ah, your leg! <laughs> what is this Resident Evil trap. 4? Uh, <laughs> running from your life, Shia LaBeouf. Normal Tuesday night. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I knew we were going to go there, but I had to also do it. Stab him in his kidneys. <clears throat> you have just decapitated Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> that was good. Marshall. Oh, I'm sorry. Caught in a bear trap. Ah! At Marshall, the teeth dig into your leg. I think that the others would have heard you were it not for the building collapsing around you. From out the darkness to your right, step by patient step, a figure emerges. With one hand, they're stroking the edge of their similarly well-oiled mustache. You actually 
recognize them from earlier today. You saw only their face and profile as they nodded to Dr. Clarkson and they guided you out of the building earlier, but this person is the night watchman here. They've surely been watching you for longer than just tonight. In the shifting darkness of the edge of the warehouse, shifting because the ceiling is beginning to rip itself apart, you see the sunken, absent eyes in the sallow frame, bulging veins. The man who's been hunting you. The depiction is more severe even than what had been described by Elias, but does match what he'd said. You must be the bounty hunter that Elias warned me about this morning. And in a a chorus of voices... Oh, fuck. You hear the revenant... Jamie Little, you didn't come to the riverside today. That's because I'm not Jamie Little. They reach into their coat. As their vest parts, you can see the lower half of their shirt has a, a pattern of dots which before your eyes as you you blink blearily in this half light from the moon coming in you see the dots as if they're almost live dripping in the pattern he grabs out of his vest and unfurls a wanted poster for Jamie Little he looks at it and then he looks at you and he drops it and it flutters in the air and then settles on the ground You're right. And they reach in to their vest and they pull out from the other side and they unfurl. You're You're the brother. And they tap the poster. Ashley Little. The shiver is going to run up the marshal's spine. Be it the bear trap or the truth finally catching up to him. They take another few steps towards you. Slow, assured. You can't hide here any longer. The bill comes due. I've more than made up for the sins of my past. Ask anyone in town. And I think they reach their hands down and one by one they undo the buttons on their shirt and they pull it aside to reveal a stomach bloated with lead. Bloody. From the many rounds it received. There's no good that you can do to make up for you and your brothers. 
indiscretions. The marshal's going to take notice at the at the gunshot wounds in the revenant's belly. And a look of surprise and memory hits his face. It's you, isn't it? You were the driver that day of the of the payroll car. And they nod slowly. They let your poster fall as well, fluttering to the ground. And then pull from their hip a revolver and they spin the chamber and then slide it home. I took six shots that day. How many will you take, Mr. Little? (laughs) Do your worst. They smile. I will. And the roof breaks in. The darkness swallows them as it does. And as the moonlight fills that half of the building, you can see that they have disappeared. Marshall, that's as much as you remember of that moment that you remember from that night, Marshall. Because it's then that one of the broken beams swings down. And with a resounding blow, knocks you right out and over as the rest of the building collapses. Y'all, I didn't plan for the Revenant to be the cart driver, but that That was was a choice I just made. That was really good. good. 10 out of 10. I assumed you must have planned it. No. We see a... That was all improv, baby. We see a puff of smoke in the distance. As our camera has shifted, we pull back from the scene of the collapse here at the warehouse. And instead go down by the riverside, down where the ground is still wet, not yet dried out from the heat of El Paso. We move back to the tumbleweed. This one's for Dave. Just as the sky begins to show first light, the last bit of the weed falls down a gully into a muddy patch of water where it begins the long process of degrading enough to drop its seeds. What will happen before the sun comes up to prevent this weed from leaving seeds here in the muddy ground? So the camera pans, and it pans, and it goes way up north to where this tumbleweed has finally reached journey's end, on the banks of the same river that flow down through El Paso. It's a good spot. Wet, but not too wet. There are, in fact, other tumbleweeds up and down the banks here. 
and it would surely have sired a whole patch of truly gargantuan Russian thistles if it weren't for one thing. As it sits there in its vegetative happiness, as much happiness as a tumbleweed can have, you can hear a gentle sound growing increasingly less gentle. The water that was feet away from the tumbleweed is suddenly a foot away, then inches, then completely submersing and tearing it away from its moorings. The tumbleweed is no longer tumbling through the air, but through an increasingly raging river. And it's not the only thing tumbling through this river. This river has been tearing things up and setting them to tumble too. Stones, trees, some bandits that were celebrating on the banks, a stag that had thought it escaped, all swept away by this raging torrent that flows swiftly south. The burgeoning sunlight illuminating the three crosses on the hill that named the town nearby, its own mini Golgotha, and a bad sign for any cities south of Las Cruces, New Mexico. As the torrent of water has passed and the river has reached its height as this period of flooding begins, the light of day has not yet crested the horizon. It's starting to peak individual rays poking up, but the darkness still lingers. And we see immense and dark, a long black train running along the river like tracks, its wheels chugging, its stack puffing. And as the sun rises, it dissipates with the darkness. Just the river continues. And so ends night in Old El Paso. It's early morning the next day. We look into Lorelai's bedroom. She isn't there, but she comes in through the door a moment later with a small basket of flowers. She ties a few together, removes any thorns or leaves sticking there, and goes over to the sealed locked box in her closet. And then she remembers the spectral key that she took with her from the cage in the lab the night before. She stares at that and quizzically, just on a whim, tries it in the lock. It clicks home and the box opens. The offerings that you'd left in there previously are gone. And in their place is an old tin mug that we have seen Del Sol banging against the bars earlier that day. Yeah! 
<laughs> She'll pick that up and stare at it quizzically. It smells faintly of whiskey. She'll uh, she'll put the flowers that she had just brought in into the mug and then take it back into the kitchen to set on a table. The next morning, Angel is getting ready, tightening her, her corset, fixing her makeup and hair. She motions over to the dog to follow her, picks up the rope she managed to free last evening, starts wrapping it up, tosses it over her chest, and heads out to have a conversation with the gentleman she agreed to meet last night. Brother Gideon is pacing in his room. He didn't sleep well last night. He never sleeps well after he does what needs to be done. His upbringing doesn't let him do it as much as he's tried to eschew it. As much as he tries to rationalize it, something bothers him any time this has to happen. He didn't even pull any triggers or anything this time. His hip flask is empty. He's dropped his comb several times already, and it lies snapped into, useless on the floor. So he turns to the book that used to provide him such comforts as he needed. And he opens his own personal copy of the Bible. It's an unusual copy. He doesn't lend it out because it always tells him exactly what he needs it to tell him. He doesn't know how or why. And if it doesn't tell him what he needs it to tell him, he doesn't look at it again for a while. Because if it doesn't tell him what he needs, it tells him something strange. So he flips aimlessly through the pages until settling on what he thought was going to be his favorite passage. And as he stares at the pages, reading what it says, his eyes grow wider and wider in fear before he hurls the book across the room and storms out. Camera pans over, then zooms in on what appears to be an inoffensive Bible on the floor. Page is still open. Seemingly normal at first. But once you're close enough to read it, every verse, every line of every chapter visible here, come and see over and over. The marshal wakes up early the next morning to the calls of morning birds chirping, seeing as the warehouse is now caved in and there's open air. He slowly sits himself up, and what transpired last night hits him in waves in his mind and uses the pain of the bear trap that his leg is still in to allow himself to sob for the first time 
since the old marshal died. And then he, with all of his might, wrenches the bear trap open, pulls his leg out, shakily gets himself to his feet, takes a deep breath, lets it out, and then reaches into his breast pocket, pulls out his tin of mustache oil, fixes his mustache. I need a bath. And then he slowly limps his way back into the main part of town. The day before, a grave had been completed in the graveyard of El Paso. A large one, suitable for four fine, fine horses. The earth is freshly compacted atop them, still mounded slightly. A bit of grass seed has been scattered in the hopes that it will grow there soon. Though, we'll see under the El Paso sun. But as the first rays of daylight hit it that morning, we see towards the middle of the grave the earth buckle slightly and a single hoof emerge. Ghost horse, ghost horse, ghost horse, ghost horse.